Next, we're talking crows with amateur crow expert, Craig Gibson. Craig is the author of the site Winter Crow Roost and from the city of Lawrence, Massachusetts, where like Troy, New York, there is also a significant winter crow roost. Craig, welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you. How did you first get into following and studying the crow? And in that, maybe you can just tell us what you find exciting about this creature. The crows are endlessly fascinating. I have been an active bird photographer uh, for many, many years. And when I started working in the city of Lawrence as a full-time Roman Catholic hospital chaplain, I began to track a pair of, of local nesting peregrine falcons located in a clock tower that it was actively monitored by mass wildlife. Almost six years ago, a local older couple had invited me to perhaps get involved with them observing, tracking, and documenting the this winter crow roost phenomenon in the city of Lawrence. The hospital that I work at, EP, is next door right now to the roost location this winter. But at most in the different roost locations, I've never been more than a mile away. So it was a it was a great joy to be able to to dive in, to understand this phenomenon. And I was able to do it on the way home every night, which made it very easy to, to do so. When asked about the crows and what makes them a fascinating bird, visually, for most people, they would be at the opposite end of the interesting uh, spectrum. Um, but the crows are, they are known to be very smart. They are known to be very social. And they are known to be very family-centered. So uh, it's fascinating to me to see references to Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds. And so you could look at it, the crows in a Hitchcockian way and gloom and doom and whatever. But what I think is so interesting is they are so smart. They are so social. And this winter roost phenomenon speaks to that that social element and they're very uh, family centered and this is off season with their families before they go back to breeding grounds great thank you for that craig gibson and you do something that is called the crow patrol what mm. is the crow patrol and could you talk about the community or citizen science aspect of that project as you describe it Sure. So two things. So as we got rolling and our visits became a lot more regular, uh, we began to invite uh, groups of people out, 10, 20, 30 at a time. And it just seemed appropriate to, to put some kind of a moniker or name of our of our group. Um, we continue to have people come out one, two, three at a time. We do groups and then also all kinds of environmental and conservation groups have extended invitations to come and speak and explain this very unique uh, and special avian phenomenon. It's been a real joy to be able to, to uh, share all of that. From a citizen science point of view, really fascinating. So for our wildlife, by professional wildlife biologist friends, they simply don't have the time or the priority to get out and spend field time observing this phenomenon, both at dusk until dark and then dark until dawn. In the birding world, there is an online global citizen science 
portal for documenting sightings, uh, what you saw, when you saw it, how many you saw, conditions and all of that. It's called eBird. And so eBird is, is the number one citizen science interface on, on all of this. Um, secondly, from a citizen science point of view, every winter there's a Christmas bird count here in our local area. It's for 24 hours starting midnight tonight. And in 15 mile radius circles for this Christmas bird count, um, groups of people go out and document all the birds that they see within that circle. And that data goes back decades and decades. So we have a separate dedicated team that will go out as part of the Christmas bird count sponsored by National Audubon, and we'll do a count of the crows tonight. Now, over the last two months, I've been documenting and counting and leading up. So I've got a very good idea. Uh, we'll probably end up tonight with, you know, thir over 13,000 uh, crows in the roost. The crows are both fish crows and American crows, probably 90% plus American crows, 10% fish crows. And then finally, on that citizen science side of your question, we've also been able, we've been able to engage high school students to get out and, and do structured observations and write-ups. We have third graders. I was invited into a third grade vacation week program last February. The kids had done uh, uh, an amazing amount of preparation and, and they had done it from a scientific and quantitative kind of perspective. They went back to the city council and that group agreed to declare the first Monday of school vacation week as an unofficial crow holiday in the, in the city. Um, we also do a lot of work with the leading crow wildlife biologists, avian biologists around the country who specialize in American crows and or fish crows and um, regularly in contact with them, exchanging information that, that benefits and, and raises their awareness. And, and I gain a great deal from those uh, interactions as well. Great. So um, our city government has announced that with the increased number of crow congregating in some areas of the city of Troy, that they are going to engage with the US Department of Agriculture to disperse some of these large concentrations of birds. Um, could you tell us sort of about those techniques and how one might coexist with the crows in a place as populated as a city like Troy? So it's, it's a great question. And uh, the city of Troy, magnificent. I had a chance to visit and uh, really enjoyed it last year ended up really focusing in on the crows uh, down near where Route 7 crosses over from east to west by the courtyard by Marriott, the Department of Social Services. They settled in for the night at the south end of Adams Island. I had been told to go up and take a look from the north end of Green Island, and I was able to track and see they were mostly coming in from the northwest and flying to the southeast. And that allowed me to, to loop around, come down Second Avenue. So in cities large and small across the country, this is a phenomenon in the Northern US um, and Southern Canada. And in some roost locations like the one that I spend time studying, the crows conveniently choose to roost in wooded areas with no trails below, no parks below, no cars and no sidewalks. But in other places, it's right downtown. It's below a car. On a windshield, when they poop, it's a mess. It could be on a sidewalk. It also, it has a horrible odor. 
So I spoke years ago with a woman, I think her name was Lori Ulrich in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And she has been involved for years as a proponent for proper dispersal techniques, because sometimes there can be choices made to do these dispersal activities in ways that 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 some might feel are harmful or detrimental to the crows. Oftentimes, no matter what technique is used, the crows will either come back um, EP to the same location, kind of like, you know, all right, you, you, you bothered us, but this is where we're hanging out. Or they make make minor geographic moves to different locations. Um, they're smart, they're clever, they do their own thing. You can spend a lot of money on both light show type techniques and, and loud cannon blasts. But at the end of the day, it's, um, it's like a, a petulant two-year-old. They're going to do what they're going to do, and, and all of these things may not make that much of a difference. Now, some people in their frustration with the crows have complained about their activity impeding mobility. But from what you're saying, maybe the city's money is better spent giving car washes or cleaning sidewalks than sound cannons and lasers. But I'm curious, what what do you suggest? Yeah, a couple of years ago, we did, for a couple of winters, we did kind of a crow celebration, and that helped raise awareness and appreciation. We had an exhibit in an art gallery. Uh, we worked with, with different school programs. Um, we worked with the local media. We worked with conservation groups. We had added walks, and it really raised that, that awareness. So anything that's creative that might engage local community members in a positive way is, is time well spent. You do have that difficult challenge of a downtown area maybe having uh, crow poop on their sidewalk, uh, awnings, cars. There's a smell wrapped up in all of that is in many cities, the crows in the course of a winter season, so say roughly October until the end of March, when they begin to gather, they start the winter season. Then they may move around to five, six, or seven different overnight roosting locations in the course of a wintertime. If in Troy, there's this dispersal effort at the end of a four-week period where the crows might normally move on, and they might accelerate that by a day or two, but the crows are already going to go to another alternate location. And for dispersal purposes, depending on what's beneath the roost, um, you're going to have to start all over again. And and it's, it's never-ending, you know, you really, you don't win. The USDA would be a proper agency with experience to know how to do these things and the city is credited with making an effort, it, it may well be that it's going to be futile no matter what effort is expanded or extended. 